Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, spring has finally returned. You know, we had a, a nasty pullback in resurgence of winter here a week ago. Yeah, it pretty much killed all the flowers and the blooms, but that, that's what happens. I think that's they say it. don't don't plant until after Easter, you know, yeah. around this area. So uh, Yeah, I went out and covered everything up, and uh, then I took the, the tarp off or the buckets or whatever it was, yeah. and, and everything was still dead. Still dead. It like, didn't work. It's like, well, that didn't work. I think they turned the sprinkler systems on up in uh, Trenton, you know, the peach. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe yeah. they actually, like, to, yeah, just, you know, wet them down. So Yeah, maybe I, that helped. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, but life goes on. I mean, we got, of course, the wars driving on, but we'll talk, get to that in a minute. But March Madness. March Madness. We got yeah. basketball. Yeah, who you got? Yeah. Uh, well, look, you know, I think going I'll take on, Gun, I think I'll take Gonzaga. Oh, you're going out on a limb, huh? Yeah, out on a limb. I'll take Gonzaga. Yeah, <laughs> the number one seed in the whole tournament. Isn't it amazing? Some little school out of the middle of nowhere. Yeah. What do you say? They're in Spokane, Spokane Washington. Spokane, Washington. Yeah, is like the powerhouse for basketball. I don't understand I, it. Yeah, I don't know, but I've, they're always there. I've got Arizona, so that's that's my pick. But the okay. women's bracket, South Carolina is the number one overall seed. So of course, I have them. Winning it all. So. It doesn't surprise me. South Carolina yeah. has an amazing women's basketball they program, and they're always there. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you guys have become the Gonzaga for women's basketball. <laughs> hey, wait a second. We're right up the road. <laughs> it's not like we're in <laughs> well, nowhere. you're not in the middle of nowhere, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we got a great show. You know, a lot going on, um, obviously. And so, um, you know, the war is a big part of that. So we're going to talk about how markets react to war. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, this is not new. We've had a bunch of wars over the years, and and there is a pattern for what markets do in these times. And I know a lot of people have those questions. So, I'm, yeah, it's a good article. We're going to be digging into that. Yeah, it's got a lot of great data as well, which mm-hmm. we like. We lo- love looking at data historically. And then we're going to follow up with an article from uh, Charles Schwab talking about retirement risk. There's four risks that are out there. Um, that we'll cover and, and we discuss um, with our clients as we go through their their planning piece of it. But it's it's a good discussion and kind of looking at what that looks like um, for for retirement. You've got to make sure that you're incorporating certain you know facets to make sure the money's going to last long term. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be a good a good uh, article to look at, no doubt. And um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 27 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance, and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 29 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday morning. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a, a link to all the podcasts. Uh, we also have some really good tools out there. I'm actually going to speak to one during the prescription of the week this this week. Um, but uh, the podcasts are out there, and you can go back and listen to some of the historical ones. We've probably had something on wars before, um, you know, back in 2015. I think there were some issues over in Ukraine as well. But go check that out. Facebook page is MoneyMD, and we put a prescription every week, and I'm going to be doing that this week. So please look at it. Yeah, absolutely. And you can send us your questions, too. We'd love to hear from us. You can link to us right there on the website, and we will talk about those right here on the show. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is uh, really interesting. This comes from the economic well-being of U.S. households. And um, Steve, we see this a lot, uh, more and more with folks we're talking with. But a lot of people have side hustles. They're able to earn additional money 
27% of American adults actually have some type of gig activities, whether it's childcare, house cleaning, ride sharing, um, you know, and we see like Airbnb is really big, yeah, right? So is. people, yeah. maybe they have a room, um, people are buying, uh, we had some, uh, some folks come through a couple of weeks ago and they have five vacation properties around the United States that they're, wow. they're renting all of them out through Airbnb. And so, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of different ways to make money today. It's a lot different than 15 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with the internet and, and all the business that have sprung up centered around the internet, you know, like Uber and Uber Eats and, you know, all that sort of stuff, Airbnb, as you mentioned, there's just no limit to the opportunities out there if you want to make some money, more money. And that's a great way to, you know, help fund your, your plans and mm -hmm. your goals for yep. the future. So, um, yeah, great, great fact of the week. All right, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is how the markets react to war. Um, and this is an article out of uh, Seeking Alpha um, very recently, obviously talking about the war. And um, But, John, I mean, you know, we take a look recently at how markets react to all sorts of geopolitical-type events on this show. However, we want to really focus on war specifically because, you know, war is one of those things that, it's a little bit scary, you know, it's definitely scary from a, you know, a, a country standpoint, of course, but it's scary for investors too, because it creates a lot of uncertainty in the world on your investment journey. And of course, you know, wars never ceased happening. Um, they're, they're always out there somewhere in the world and they certainly won't stop anytime soon because, you know, there are evil leaders and nations out there, um, and but, you know, given that we are in the fourth week of this Ukraine war um, or coming up on it, I guess, um, you know, a lot of people are asking questions about, you know, what does this mean to your investments or the stock market, you know, based on history? So to answer that, we're going to take a look back at um, wars in the past and and see how what is the historical precedent to what happens during the stock to the stock market during a war and and how can you position yourself and your investments to prepare for for that in the future yeah so i mean one of the things that we we do a lot here at richard young associates is, is just looking at history i mean it doesn't you know history doesn't repeat itself perfectly but you can start getting some you know major themes and as we've seen the the last past you know couple of weeks the market certainly has fluctuated wildly almost daily in the reaction to to the war in ukraine and you know, it's had big moves uh, up and it's had some big moves down. Um, sometimes it's in, during the day, it's had the big moves up mm -hmm. and down. And it's reacting to every bit of hope and despair coming out of Ukraine. And there's other issues going on, obviously, with inflation as well. Um, but, you know, what about the other wars throughout history? So when we look back at history, the largest historical pullback due to our war was in conjunction with uh, Nazi Germany's attack. Uh, on what was the Czechoslovakian nation back in 1939, and then they attacked France in 1940. So the S&P 500 fell by you know 20 to 25 percent respectively during the following 22 uh, trading days. So you know one year after these instances, the markets were almost up um, you know 20 you know 10 to 20 percent. So it eliminated most of the drop despite the prospect of a long and drawn out World War II. So. Again, I mean, that's just one one data point we're going to talk about, but it did drop initially, and that's what we've seen with Ukraine, right, but, but right. it recovered pretty quickly as well. Yeah, it is kind of remarkable how it's recovered back to basically where it was on, you know, February 24th. Um, 
you know, whenever this started, um, despite, you know, the negative things that have happened and the tragedy over there. Um, so it is interesting to look at other wars and see if that is a precedent, um, as it was in World War II, as you just mentioned. Um, and also, though, I mean, during Pearl Harbor, um, the S&P 500 dropped 11 percent in a single day after the attack. And as as we all know, I mean, the U.S. declared war on Japan the day after and on the 11th of December that year, Germany declared war on the on the U.S. Um, with the U.S. declaring war on Germany the same day. So despite all that turmoil, the S&P 500 was up 15 percent higher one year later. Um, yeah. So just doesn't it's not logical, right? People, I mean, think you're in a not, war, but there's other factors going on. That's exactly right. And so we're, we're starting to kind of see a trend here. I mean, when you look at these, I mean, war and conflict does bring these sudden crashes. Um, they bring some sudden drops. That is, you know, they vary in degree and the depth, but usually the recovery is relatively solid and for, you know, you can forecast it. I mean, there are some exceptions to most of these rules, but but usually markets do seem to come back when you look at this data. Um, so looking at some 20 armed conflicts over the last 80 years, the S&P 500 has, has been down about 6.5% on average three months following the conflict, um, either you know globally or smaller, whatever the conflict was. And but then it was thirteen percent positive twelve months after the conflict. Wow, um, which is pretty remarkable. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Vietnam War and both the Gulf Wars are examples of conflicts that that brought about some extremely short-lived drops, followed by you know kind of an upward trajectory after that. Um, but the reason why these you know current geopolitical tr- tr- uh, tensions are so crucial. And why we're seeing so much volatility with this Ukraine war um, is probably because, you know, we were already in a correction, correction territory, um, and the war kind of coincides with a high rate of inflation Mm -hmm. that we've seen um, here recently. So from a historical basis, though, the implications here is that Ukraine, as an armed conflict, probably won't have a long-term impact on the overall market performance. Um, you know, rather analysts believe that markets will continue to be led kind of by the Fed and the policy changes um, that like what we saw this week with, uh, you know, a, a rise in interest rates mm-hmm. um, and with regard to inflation and the overall interest rates long term. I mean, those are things that drive the markets more uh, definitely. And wars tend to have these small impacts that, that quickly, you know, revert back to what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. And so the implication from these historical, um, sources is that the armed conflicts, um, and the effect it has on the market should really be viewed as a buying opportunity for stocks and investments. And obviously no one knows how this is going to play out, but you know, most of the time the market simply shrugs it off. And, uh, this might be odd given how serious we think the armed conflict is, but, you know, the implications here is that even an armed conflict doesn't have serious impacts on U.S. economic fundamentals or corporate profits, uh, which drive markets over time. And in fact, from the beginning of World War II to its end, the Dow was up more than, you know, 50 percent or 7 percent a year during that time frame. So you know, during both combined world wars, the stock market grew 115 percent. So the old adage that it's a good time to buy you know, when the markets are down is, uh, is true. And unfortunately there's, you know, people that are dying over in Ukraine and I think most people are sympathetic to that, but, you know, from an emotional standpoint, if you can, 
you almost have to split your emotions on that because I'm emotional about it. But from an investment standpoint, you know, we have to stick to what we've seen historically and that's how we, that's how we manage. Yeah, that's exactly right. It really doesn't move the the needle long-term on the overall markets. And, you know, and that isn't to say that markets don't suffer, you know, during the lead up to armed conflicts, um, you know, an increased likelihood of a conflict uh, tends to decrease stock prices leading up to the war, but even more so, you know, when the armed conflict is a surprise. However, during the actual war, the markets actually tend to be less volatile than at other times, um, which is kind of baffling, you know, Um, I mean, there are a few exceptions to that history, but for the most part, that has been true looking at this data. Um, So, I mean, the question is, you know, how do you invest during times of war? And the obvious question, um, you know, that everybody's asking is, you know, could this get bigger? You know, would the U.S. get more involved and what would that do to the markets? Well, I mean, as we've discussed, you know, um, in the previous weeks on the show, I mean, the strategy doesn't really change simply because this, you know, unexpected event happens to be a war. I mean, in uh, in fact, based on history, the market's reaction to this is probably more predictable than many other events that affect stock markets. Um, the key to weathering any event uh, affecting the stock market is having great diversification and being invested at a risk level that you're comfortable with. Um, so the truth is, I mean, you, you are going to have to ride this out regardless of how bad, you know, it gets. Um, and if you try to time this event um, and you think you might, you know, sell today and get back in when things get more predictable, then you're undoubtedly going to hurt yourself. Um, because what usually happens when somebody tries to time the markets in times like this is they sell when the market's down, as it is today. Um, but then they don't get back in until things, price is already higher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reason for that is because they don't feel good about the market until prices are higher. Um, you know, they tend to buy back in at, at higher price because the stock market is a leading economic indicator. And that means that the market moves up or down before the economy and before you start feeling the effects of that. Um, in fact, markets tend to lead the economy by around three months. So if you wait until you feel better about the economy or the market before buying back in, once you've sold, the market will have already gone back up in anticipation of that recovery. You know, therefore, it's simply a futile effort to try and time the stock market. Your emotions are always going to work against you. They're going to lead you to buy or sell at the wrong time. Yeah. So if you can't time the market, what what should you do during you know correction or volatile markets? And um, there are a few things that you can do to improve your chances for a quicker and complete recovery. One thing is to rebalance your investments. We talk about this a lot. So in down markets, this often means that you're willing to sell some of your fixed investments and you buy more stocks when they're down. This increases the number of shares uh, of stocks or stock funds. And when the markets come back up, you'll have more shares and you'll recover quicker. So Uh, Another strategy that we have people doing uh, frequently is they'll add money to the market. So you can't control the markets, but you do control the timing of adding money. And so adding money in the down market allows you to take advantage of these discounted values um, and you buy buy more shares. I mean, wealth is really built on the number of shares times the price. And when the price recovers, if you have more shares, then you're going to have more wealth. So, you know, if the market is down 10%, 
and it eventually recovers to a gain of 10% where it started, that's actually a 22% gain above the point of where you put money in. So I will say that um, I, I was looking at a client's account this last week, and they're taking monthly distributions. And back in January, we, we raised cash mm-hmm. for the distribution in February and March. And we raised in January from the stock funds because they had held up and they had done right. pretty well for three years. Um, the distribution that we're raising now for April and May is going to come from the bond side right. of the portfolio. So the stocks are down. We're going to leave them alone. So you got to have a strategy in place for these dips. Yeah, you have a disciplined strategy for you know where to add money yep. into the places that are down, that are low in your portfolio, or whether to take money. If you're taking money out, you're, you're always going to sell a little piece of whatever's the highest if you have a good disciplined strategy as we do for for managing those distributions and contributions. Um, yeah, and a final strategy that you may want to consider, John, you know, in times like this, is to think about your risk level um, in times when the market is down. And, you know, I, and not to say that you should automatically try to time it and, and increase your risk level, but at the same time, um, you know, we often see people who went more conservative, you know, during some previous point, and they never adjusted the risk level back to the appropriate level for their situation. Yep. Now would be a great time to reevaluate your risk level, consider increasing it up a notch if you can tolerate additional risk and you're and you're and you've been a little bit too conservative up to this point. Um, again, we would never suggest you go to into a, a risk level that's inappropriate for your situation. However, a simple review of risk might, you know, reveal an opportunity um, to edge up a little bit in your account. And, you know, in some account, maybe you've been neglecting or where your objectives have changed. So that's that's another strategy. But the key to success with investing over time, you know, and through uncertain markets like this is sticking to a disciplined long-term strategy and adding money consistently. So sticking to your investment strategy really is what you have to do, you have to resist the urge to make dramatic changes. You have to trust your strategy to get you to your long-term goals. And if we just reviewed, I mean, history shows that when it comes to investing, wars really are no different than other geopolitical events. Market pullbacks um, will happen. You're going to experience some volatility. However, at the end of the day, they usually recover pretty quickly and they resume their climb to new highs over time. So focus on your long-term goals and uh, tune out the daily noise, uh, you know, as far as your investments are concerned and stick to your strategy. That's the prescription for that. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, I've seen uh, some some folks recently doing this. Um, it has to do with margin. And uh, so the question is, should I use margin to buy stocks? And what that means is, is you're basically borrowing money um, to go buy additional shares. And, mm. um, you know, if you, if you want to do margin, I would recommend you just go out to Vegas and <laughs> bet on the roulette wheel. Cause you're going to be in much nicer conditions and, and you're going to lose anyway, probably right. either way. I probably mean, gonna lose. it's yeah. just a very risky proposition. Margin is a way that you can, you can leverage what you're buying, um, with a, a smaller amount of money. And, you know, the interest rate on margin is eight to 10%. I mean, it's a, it's expensive right, to borrow right. their money, and so um, it's it's probably the riskiest strategy you can have. One of the riskiest strategies you have. So, if you want to do a small, you know, thousand bucks, go for it. But uh, man, ninety nine percent of your funds, leave it alone. Yeah, you don't want to leverage your investments. You know that it just massively increases the risk and the cost. Um, yes, because now you're paying interest, 
and you've leveraged it so that if it's down, you know, if you're 50% margined and you lost 50%, the market went down 50%. Now you have zero, you know, you've, you've, you've opened that door that 50% turns into zero. So you can't, you can't allow that to happen to your retirement or any other serious investment. Yeah. Um, so avoid margin, uh, leveraging your investments, avoiding borrowing money in general, um, when it comes to your investments, that's for sure. So good question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is, um, have you considered these four investment risks? Well, the, yeah. So the retirement risk that Schwab's talking about here, we just talked about one, which is the market decline. We'll go into mm. detail, but you know, the last few years really has demonstrated just how hard it is to predict the future. I mean, you know, the pandemic in 2020, the stock market was up. Um, and in 2021, it was up significantly as well, still in the middle of the pandemic. So when it comes to planning for retirement, uh, which could be years or decades in the future, uh, or you could be in it right now, the risk and uncertainties can feel overwhelming. And interestingly, um, you know, everybody's situation is unique, but most of us share the same four concerns that we're going to discuss today. And the first one is, is how do you protect yourself from stock market declines? We just talked about the, the war discussion and we gave you some ideas and, and we are certainly firm believers in the power of stock market to build long-term wealth. Um, but along the way, you know, you have to plan in, you have to expect these downturns. They, they happen about 25% of the years are negative. So when these dips occur um, close to or in retirement, um, it scares people. And, and we certainly understand that. But, you know, not only because you're likely to have more money at stake, um, but, um, you know, it also can, can take a little bit of time to, to come back and you listen to the news media and they scare you. And so you're emotional. There's an emotional impact here. So th there are some things that you can do. And we've talked about some of them here, but this is, this is Swab's take on it. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the question is, what is your best defense? And, and, and really it is allocation. It's making sure that your allocation, your risk level matches your ability to, to take on that risk. And so if you do this at the outset, that's great. You know, then you're going to be in the, the right risk level for your, for your situation. Um, but then you can also rebalance your portfolio on a regular basis. And, and when you do that and markets are down, what you're doing is you're actually buying some of what's low because yeah. um, you're selling something that, that's high. Um, and that's a strategy we, we did here this past month, as we always do it in the quarter and markets were down and we were able to buy stocks at a very low price, you know, from some of the fixed income in the portfolios. Um, so, you know, you, and so you don't chase returns. You're not going to try to time the market, um, but you want to make sure that you're in the right risk level for your situation and then rebalance. Yeah, absolutely. And another concern people have in addition to market declines is, you know, am I going to outlive my money? I don't want to run out of money. And the good news is, you know, life expectancies are increasing. So your retirement could be 30 or even 40 years. And, and of course, in order to enjoy those years, you're, you're going to need to have income and uh, a nest egg to support that. So, you know, there's something in our industry called longevity risk, um, you know, and so people, you know, look at Social Security. And that is a, a always a big question is when should you take Social Security at 62 or 67 or 70? Depends on the situation. If you have a good pension, uh, you may be able to take Social Security early. Um, but you also have to have um, enough of your portfolio invested in equities to, to maintain your lifestyle for 30 or 40 years. So equities historically have grown, right? So other strategies, you can get some uh, fixed income potentially. Um, also being you know, prudent with your retirement budget, 
We do see a lot of retirees downsizing um, to a less expensive home, so they have less need for income, which helps the uh, portfolio to last longer. And a, and a last ditch effort would be a reverse mortgage. Now, we certainly don't recommend that. That would only be in a very dire situation. Um, but you want to make sure that when you do planning, we go out to age 95. Right. So um, you want to look and, and make sure that you can produce income over a couple of decades. And you got to make sure you have a good equity exposure in that, in that process. That goes back to the risk level as well. That's right. And, and one of the reasons you want to make sure you have good equity exposure, John, is because you don't want to become a victim to inflation. Yes. Um, you have to protect against inflation. You know, it's an easily overlooked um, potential uh, in your portfolio, potential risk, and the impacts of it can be devastating over time. Um, you know, just to illustrate, if you have 3% rate of inflation, which we know this year it's much higher so far this year. Mm-hmm. You know, but just 3% will cut your purchasing power about 26% after just 10 years, 45% after 20 years, almost cut it in half. So to put it another way, with 3% inflation, your million-dollar retirement plan will only be worth about $560,000 in purchasing power in 20 years. Yeah, almost Uh, half. Almost half. And that's only 3% inflation. And we're looking at almost double that so far this year. So, you know, it's a real concern. Yeah. And that's very serious for retirees or anyone living on a fixed income. So it's essential that you build inflation when you do in this retirement plan. Um, You can think about kind of a balancing act. We need to protect ourselves against market risk. So you want to have some money in shorter term, you know, liquid and safe money, but you also need enough stock market exposure to combat inflation in retirement. So, you know, in addition to fixed incomes, um, you know, that offer, you know, higher yields as inflation rises, like uh, tips and, um, you know, real estate. Some people invest in real estate. So there's different things that you can invest in to fight inflation. I'll tell you what we've seen that does the best with inflation is the stock market. Absolutely. I mean, that is a good place to 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 fend off the inflation. So in terms of everyday money management, is, is you know, generally we recommend paying off credit card debt. Um, if you have other variable, you know, rate debt, then uh, you need to pay that off. That becomes more expensive. And certainly during periods of high inflation, it's even more important uh, to be a, a good shopper. I mean, you actually go out there and try to buy a used car now, and it's 40% higher than it was last year. So you may have to, you know, either delay it or, or get something smaller. So just make sure you're spending time um, on the shopping side of this because inflation is impacting a lot of different areas. That's exactly right. Another thing you need to be prepared for, John, is to um, prepare for the increased cost of medical expenses and long-term care, you know, later in life. Um, it's an unfortunate fact of life, but our medical needs tend to increase as we age, you know, and you compound this um, with inflation and, you know, the cost of medical and long-term care, it's increased a lot more than general inflation has, as we just talked about. Um, so according to a 2020 estimate from, uh, uh, I guess, the Retirement Institute, the average married couple age 65 would need approximately one hundred sixty-eight thousand to three hundred twenty-five thousand to cover medical expenses in retirement. Wow! Not including long-term care expenses. It's a big number. That's a big number, you know. And um, of course, Medicare covers a lot of that, but still, I mean, you you got to have a lot of. There's going to be a lot of out-of-pocket expenses as well, and somebody's got to pay for that because Medicare we can't count on that lasting at this current level forever. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, not for everybody, so. But according to Genworth, the average cost of nursing home private room for 2020 was $106,000. 
with home care averaging about $55,000 per year. So there's a lot of potential cost out there. And so you got to plan for that in your, your plan. You got to have some room to, to cover your medical costs later on down the road. Yeah. And, and many medical conditions are unavoidable, but, um, you know, there's, there is, it is important to uh, maintain an active and healthy lifestyle. I mean, that, that's going to help. Uh, I had a conversation with a um, client yesterday and I, I, she's in her mid seventies and uh, I called her up and she was, um, she was, uh, going to uh, a silver sneakers class. Uh, yeah, class. in Aiken, and um, so I was just congratulating her on you know being active at, at right. seventy five. That's great to yeah. to get out and exercise and keep moving, and those kind of things can certainly benefit you long term as well. So, um, yeah, medical costs you got to make sure you have that in, involved in it. So, yeah, and um, and so that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so I uh, had a good friend who uh, just just passed away um, this last week, and I went to his funeral on uh, Sunday. And it just, as I was sitting there just thinking, I've talked to the wife um, a little bit. They have three kids in their uh, 20s. Two of them are still in college when I'm out working and uh, just talking with her a little bit. And obviously just this gentleman went into the hospital and um, was in there for three weeks and never had a chance. He never woke up. Mm, And so, you know, no goodbyes, no preparation and so forth. And, you know, just as I was sitting there in the funeral, just thinking about, gosh, you know, she's stressed. Um... I, 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 she says she thinks he has a kind of a data sheet, you know, right. But I mean, you know, we're not guaranteed to wake up from our sleep at night. So you've just got to have plans in place. We have a great, um, uh, file out on our website, moneymd.net. It's called a financial account inventory. And I have one for my wife. I know you have one for Kathy as well. And yep. it's just a roadmap. So if something, if I went into the hospital and was never able to, to have closure, they at least have a roadmap of where stuff is. So right. highly, highly recommend there's, it's, it's chaotic, it's stress. And I spoke with her and obviously from a, a life standpoint, it's, it's, right. it's devastating. And then you, then the mind goes to financial, how are they going to survive and what are the resources? And so, you know, prescription is, is go out to our website, moneymd.net and get this financial inventory sheet, fill it out talk with your spouse or loved ones and uh, make sure people know where it is. Yeah, and I sat down with a client just yesterday afternoon, and I was I was real impressed. He had a nice spreadsheet yeah. with where all his money was, all the accounts were, where they were at, how they were titled, the account numbers, where to get that information. And so it was just it was just a great tool, and I think it really gave his wife comfort knowing that that's where everything yeah, is, that's and fantastic. that's how to take care of everything if something happens to him. So we highly encourage you to do that. So use that asset inventory. Uh, spreadsheet and um, yeah, make sure you're prepared for, you know, the inevitable time when, you know, somebody yeah. is going to have to, to try to uncover the pieces of that's where right. everything is for you. So, um, all right. Well, that's been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week. There are more prescriptions for your financial health. And check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.